This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another edition of Taekwondo Life Magazine Live. My name is Mark Sirianis. I'm your host. I'm the editor-in-chief of Taekwondo Life Magazine, and I'm a third Don Black Belt. 2020 is, as most of you know, an Olympic year. The Summer Games will be held this year in the historic Tokyo, Japan. Today's guest, Taekwondo master Chuck Johnson, is a Michigan-born and raised Taekwondo master who, in his pursuit of excellence in training and perfection, went on a journey to the Far East, to Korea, to Hong Kong, and to Japan in pursuit of his Taekwondo life. Master Johnson not only trained and became skilled in the art and sport of Taekwondo, but became a fight choreographer, instructor, action star, stuntman, teacher, and YouTube sensation. He is a thoughtful and intelligent man. He is a credit to the martial arts community. He has lived in, in his short years an extraordinary life filled with extraordinary adventures and travels. And I encourage you to check out his YouTube channels under Chuck Johnson and his Quiet Flame Dojang, as well as his Quiet Flame Productions. And while we had an exciting talk about his life up till now, I know that if you follow him, you will see that there are many more adventures left in him and many more exciting things that he has left to give to both the world of the martial arts and to the martial arts action genre. So we thank you and we hope you enjoy this conversation with Taekwondo master Chuck Johnson. Today's episode is brought to you by the MMA Conditioning Association. The MMA Conditioning Association is an international organization which has trained and certified some of the best coaches in the world, including multiple world champions in the BJJ, UFC, and Bellator arenas. Many coaches work with everyday people who just want to train like champions. You can check them out at mixedmartialartsconditioningassociation.com. On to our conversation with the esteemed Chuck Johnson. We have the honor today to be speaking to Master Chuck Johnson, who is, among other things, a Taekwondo master. He is a Taekwondo practitioner of great esteem in the Olympic world. We'll give him an opportunity to talk about that. He has his own martial arts school, Dojang, in Japan. We are fortunate enough to catch him in the window of Christmas to New Year's holiday when he is stateside, uh, but he is uh, residenced in Japan and he is headed back there 
Um, he is a stuntman, a stunt choreographer, and he has, I've spent the last two days at Chuck Johnson University watching your, some of your films and watching your YouTube channels, and they are really exciting and impressive, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but I wanted to thank you, Master Johnson, for talking to Taekwondo Life magazine today. No, thank you. Thank you for making the time as well. Well, I gave a little bit of an intro, and I want to now circle back. Tell us a little bit about, for those who are unfamiliar with you, how it is that you got started in your Taekwondo journey and your journey in the martial arts. Okay. Um, I would say that my journey in the martial arts started when I was about 12. It started, like a lot of people, by discovering Jackie Chan movies, of course, <laughs> And I had spent a long time kind of watching these movies and then just emulating them just like any other kid does. You know, you you watch it, you, back then it was just rewind on the VHS tape, right? So you you rewind the tape, watch the movie, try to emulate it, rewind the tape, watch the movie, try to emulate it. And then um, after a while, my mom was like, you know what, you really should just do this. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'd I'd like to do that. And originally, you know, I kind of wanted to do Kung Fu because I've been watching all these Jackie Chan movies. But my best friend at the time was Korean. So he says, well, I'm doing Taekwondo, so I think we should just do Taekwondo together. So then uh, I went and then I tried Taekwondo. And because I'd been watching Jackie Chan movies for so long, I had already started stretching. So by the time I was 13, I'd already, I'd already gotten a split. I could already do the splits even before I started. So as a function of that, you know, my uh, Taekwondo, I just took to it very, very fast. I mean, the kicking part was always my favorite part of the action movies anyway. So it was kind of the first thing I was ever good at. I'd never done anything athletically before that. I just kind of sat around the house playing video games and was this kind of mediocre student. And then once I got into Taekwondo, it just, it was just a game changer, you know? And then by the time I started it officially when I was about 15 and then by the time I graduated high school, I had all A's and I was a uh, junior Olympic state champion from Michigan for sparring forms and board breaking. And it was just the first thing I was ever really good at, you know, so I just, I just loved it more than anything. So that's, that's just how I got started. And then after that, I just, I decided that I wanted to at least try to go to the Olympics or see how far I could go with it. So I went to Korea to train, which is what brought me to Asia. Well, that's very, that's very interesting. And um, in speaking to you're younger than me, but you're still at a time that this sport aspect of it was probably largely dominated by Korea from the standpoint yeah. of Taekwondo oh, yeah. and people such as um, Grandmaster Herb Perez, who we know and, and who I've spoken to, he did something similar, which was decided that, Hey, you know, if I really want to get good in the Korean martial art, the, the, the probably the, the, the most sensible way to do that is to go to Korea and did the, and did the same thing. So mm-hmm. how did you find, how did you find the training in Korea and how do you, how long did you stay there and how did it, impact on your competitive life? So let's see, before I went, my, my Salonim was a, um, he was an alternate on the 88 Olympic team. So he had a very strong uh, Olympic background himself. Um, and, you know, I had told him that I wanted to go to Korea and he said, okay, well, one of the things we need to know <laughs> is that Taekwondo in Korea is pretty intense. So, and at that time, I would say, you know, there there different people might say different things, but I would say that that the level of high school competitors, you know, was probably as good as some of our national champions. Like back then, you know, things are obviously different now. But like sure. high school 
the college level competitors, you could train with a high school team and then become a national champion here, right? So I went out there, you know, just coming from, um, of course, like I said, my sabam had a strong competition background, but it was still, you know, like a, a family dojang, right? So it wasn't super, super competition oriented. And I trained a lot because I loved it, um, but we weren't a hardcore competition school. So, you know, when I went to Korea, it was just, it was, you know, a very different ball game altogether. And just the way that they trained and, and the extent that they trained and how much, and, you know, the level to which they sparred was just, wow, it was really intense. Um, and it was, it was quite hard. I'd never even been out of America before. And at the time, before I left, I, you know, I'd barely even eaten at Chinese restaurants, right? <laughs> so like, wow, wow, what, what a culture shock, right? Oh, man. You're telling me like I didn't I was I went there um, via Yonsei University. So I was an international student at Yonsei. So I was studying Korean and studying Korean culture. But I mean, it's just it was a massive shock. Uh, and it was just something that I just had to adapt to, you know, and with the players at that time. And I'm, I'm sure it's still the same, you know, but for the kids that were I, I trained with uh, Dongsung High School team which was one of the best uh, high school ta uh, taekwondo teams in Korea at that time. And those kids, they're basically fighting to go to college, you know, and they're fighting for their lives, basically. You know, whereas from the States, taekwondo was just something that I just thought was cool and fun and awesome, you know. Sure. So just the, the level of intensity was just completely off the charts, you know. And like I saw one kid, he broke his arm and then he came to training the next day with his arm in a cast, you know, and of course he didn't, wow. start. he still did all, he still did all the hogu drills and he still trained the whole time and he just broke it the day before. It was unbelievable to me, but that's just how they train, you know, I mean, they're just, they were monsters. That's, pheno that's phenomenal. So from there, did you, did you make your way back to the United States or, or stay in Korea or, or how did you make the transition to Japan? What was, what followed your training in, in Korea? Was that high level competition or yeah, um, I, what, what came next in the progression? So basically my, my way of getting back and forth to Korea was through university study abroad. At the time, I was a student at Michigan State and uh, studying abroad was just a good way to go to train because basically that means I wouldn't have a heavy class load uh, and then I wouldn't, I wouldn't really have to work to earn a living. So that means I would have the time to train. So I would take classes during the day and then I would just go train as much as I could at night or sometimes train during the day or just find people. There was, there was a lot of other Taekwondo players who were doing the same thing. Um, so there were just kind of a lot of us in the city. So sometimes I would just find people and then we would just find places, you know? So for example, I trained with the high school team during the week or, and then, you know, I would just meet up with a guy who was on the Canadian national team. And then we would just find an empty place and just go spar you know, for a few hours on Saturday. And then I'd meet up with, you know, another guy from, from Germany who was doing the same thing. And we just go and we just spar. So pretty much all we did was just, I would just find people to train with and just train. Uh, and then I was doing that. I did three semesters in Korea. And then basically my uh, counselor told me, you've taken every single class that there is in Korea. There's nothing left for you to take. <laughs> so I said, okay. Well, they're getting ready to run you back out, right? So yeah. So, you've exhausted your... Yeah. So then I said, okay, well, what's the next closest country? And they said, well, you can go to Hong Kong, but you'd have to add a business minor to your degree because it's a business study abroad. And I said, okay, fine. Give me a business minor. So then I just added a business minor to my degree. And then I went to Hong Kong 
And then I was training in Hong Kong for four months. And then I ended up becoming the intercollegiate champion for my weight class there, uh, just because someone had recognized me from a Taekwondo textbook or something, and they asked me to compete in the tournament. I mean, I just gone to watch, but I was just there, and they're like, oh, that's the guy from the textbook. So I competed, and I ended up winning for my division, which was crazy. But uh, How did you find you, you were training Taekwondo in, um, in Hong Kong as well? And did you, yeah. did you find that there was, um, again, we're, we're dealing with a place that, um, from a martial arts standpoint, while Taekwondo is global, um, it's probably not as, as prevalent in Hong Kong, obviously, as it is in Korea. Did you find that there was a good accessibility for, for training um, in, in Hong Kong? Yeah, there actually was. Um, I was at a university, so there's a university club, and the level was pretty good. So actually, even now, um, at my dojang in Tokyo, you know, we get, we get players from China and from Singapore and Hong Kong and a lot of places in Southeast Asia, and most of them are pretty strong. So um, I, from what I've seen of the guys that have come from China, they're all quite good. So, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, at, at that time, it was pretty good. So, but continuing on, after Hong Kong, I saved up while I was going to school in Hong Kong and training as much as I could. I was also teaching English on the side. So then I saved up money. So as soon as I, I basically graduated from Michigan State in Hong Kong, took the money that I'd made teaching English and then went back to Korea and then just lived in, uh, in Seoul and in Jeju or Jeju-do for the summer, just finding whatever training I could find. And then I did that. And then I came back and then I won two non-Olympic qualifying national championships. One was, I think, the State Games of America. Another one was called the U.S. Gold Cup. But neither one was Olympic qualifying. Um, and all this time, I hadn't really been working. So what ended up happening is that, of course, I was, just, I was going to school. I was training. I was going to school. I was training. And then whatever money I, I could make, I was putting it right back into training. So, you know, naturally, I ended up building a little bit of debt. And then I just needed to find some way to, to, to pay that off, you know, and I had met some people from Japan. I'd met some other Taekwondo players who were going to Japan to teach English, to make money, to go back to Korea. So then that kind of, you know, that all of a sudden that was on the table. And just because I knew other Taekwondo players that were doing it, I thought, well, maybe that's something I can consider too. That's great. That's great. Well, your world had been opened, right? And, and now you're in a situation where the, the, the trepidation right, of, of doing anything international um, probably was, was really diminished. So yeah. that, that was exciting. And is that, is that from that time forward, you've, you've remained in, in Japan? Yeah. Yeah. Originally, what I really wanted to do is I wanted to go to Japan for one year. And then while I was doing that, uh, kind of study as much as I could and then try to get into UC Berkeley for grad school. Because at the time, UC Berkeley had you know, I think the strongest collegiate Taekwondo club in the country, they were super good. So I just, and I thought I just generally really wanted to live in, in San Francisco. So I thought that would be, you know, a super cool double whammy, quote unquote, you know? So sure. Um, the plan was to go to Japan for one year, but then after I got there, because I was a lot larger than everybody else and I was muscular and there, you know, there's, not that many African-Americans. There weren't that many foreigners to begin with, but there were even less African-Americans. I just kept finding all these really interesting opportunities and um, being like, you know what, this is interesting. Let me follow this for a little while and see where this goes. One of the first ones was I ended up becoming, uh, while I was at a party, I met a Japanese ITF Taekwondo player. And then he said, you look athletic, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a Taekwondo guy. And he said, oh yeah, me too, we should go fight. So then we went and then we fought. 
And then he said, you know, you're really good. You should bodyguard with me. And then it turned out that he was a celebrity bodyguard. So then the first thing that happened is I ended up getting into, he trained me. And then I had to go through this whole training course in Japanese when I didn't speak Japanese, which was tough. But I ended up becoming a celebrity bodyguard within, you know, a year or two of being there. So then I thought, okay, well, this is interesting. Why don't we see where this goes? And then from there, uh, a friend of mine had said, because of my size and my look, he said, you know, you should really get into modeling because you've got a really good look for that. So then I walked into a, a modeling agency and they said, well, what are you good at? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a Taekwondo guy. I've been doing Taekwondo a long time. And then they said, oh, yeah, I, you know, you, have you ever won anything? And I said, yeah, I've won a few tournaments and, and, you know, a few championships here and there. And they said, okay, well, you know, we're casting for a Godzilla movie and we're looking for martial arts champions for, to play super soldiers. So then with that, I went and then I, I auditioned and then I got in and then all of a sudden I was doing action moves. And then a lot of things just kind of snowballed from there. Wow, what a great and exciting progression. And, um, you know, I don't know as a young person, as a younger person, if it was something that you had dreamt of or desired, but I think it probably would have been hard for anyone to script your path from, you know, the first time you walked into the Dojang to where you are today. Um, and I don't know how much of it was your design and how much of it was, you know, your design along the way, but it is pretty exciting and impressive um, journey that you've taken. And you're, and you're a young man, you're a young oh, man, you have a, a life ahead of you. So that's, that's all really great and interesting stuff. So let me ask you, uh, in terms of unpacking some of it, mm-hmm. some, some interesting things. So you've had the opportunity to, you're in Japan, mm-hmm. you are an American, mm-hmm. and you are a Taekwondo practitioner. I know that you've studied, we'll talk a little bit about that, you've studied other martial arts. How do you find, again, we, we know Taekwondo as, a, as a, an international martial art, but, but Japan is primarily a home of karate, and we mm-hmm. have Tokyo, and we have the upcoming Tokyo Olympics, and 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 karate as a demonstration sport how do you find the atmosphere for uh, teaching taekwondo and the desire for teaching um, for students to learn taekwondo in a country like japan and a city like tokyo you know the really interesting thing about taekwondo in japan is that there's a lot of uh there's a lot of dojang but they're all itf dojang so um, I'm guessing that's because of North Korean refugees that are in the city. But ITF uh, Taekwondo actually has uh, a pretty, you know, they got a pretty strong following in Japan. But WTF was, has always just been really, really small. So, and for my first year in Japan, one of the reasons that I ended, well, there's two reasons that I ended up starting a Dojang. One reason was that for the first year or even maybe the first two or three, I just couldn't find a place to train. And I was looking and looking, but I just couldn't actually find a WTF dojang <laughs> at that point. That makes uh, sense. Yeah. So, and then eventually I ended up meeting the, the Japanese national team coach at that time. And then he was running a university club. So I started training with the university club. And then uh, from there, I found out that he had an, a separate satellite dojang. So then I started training at that dojang. And then what ended up happening is that after he started focusing more on, on the national team and then more on, uh, you know, his university team, his, his dojang was just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And then eventually it got down to the point that it was just a few people. And then that ended up being the dojang that I, that I ended up taking over. So, 
Oh, that's interesting. That, that, that's very interesting. It, it, it's 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 interesting, and and it's it's one of the things that's so interesting about Taekwondo, particularly WTF Taekwondo, is that you know for for people that have um, trained uh, under the WT, is that you know we 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 have the ability to find kinship almost anywhere in the world now because it's 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 practiced even in 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 countries where there are other martial arts or other styles of Taekwondo, there is um, you, you know significant coverage all over the world. Yeah. So let me ask you about um, more socially. Um, I'm curious. Um, I, I have a great fascination with, with Japan. I, I'm a WT practitioner for forever. My, my grandmaster is, is uh, Grandmaster Sanwan Park. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he was former U.S. Olympic coach and um, seven-time Korean national champion. He's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. I have great um, fascination with both Korea and Japan. How do you find living as an American, but living as an African-American in, in Japan? You know, there's certain perceptions, I think, in the West that the Japanese are, it's a very homogeneous society and aren't necessarily um, as inviting from a non, not from a tourist standpoint, but from a work standpoint and from a uh, habitation standpoint, um, people from the United States and particularly African-Americans what is your perception of that and in, in, in living there to the extent that you want to talk about it? Well, I mean, I think anywhere you go in the world, you know, you're going to meet some people that are very, very nice and some people that are very welcoming and some people who are not so nice and not so welcoming. You know I mean? That's just, that's just a function of being human, you know? Um, and Japan is like that as well. You know I mean? There's, there's racism is definitely there. It's definitely a thing. Um, and, you know, I mean, there are people who perceive African-Americans more negatively than others. But one of the interesting differences is that with oftentimes with Japanese people, it isn't so much about black or white. It's just kind of Japanese or non-Japanese. Sure, sure. And a lot of that is basically because when they look at you, all they see is a question mark, you know, and they don't know what to expect. And, and for them, it's just it's intimidating. You know, so because everybody like is well, like you had mentioned, you know, a lot of it's a lot of people are very homogenous or it's just generally kind of homogenous. So they see you as a complete wild card, which is kind of scary for them, you know. Sure, sure. So, and I think that I think that's true with a lot of homogeneous societies, um, you know, that that, you know, certain countries get bad rap perhaps because of the exposure. But, you know, I'm, I'm Greek from my parents are from Greece. And at the time that my father grew up there, it was 99% of the people in the country were Greek. They were Greek Orthodox. They were obviously white. They spoke the language and they had a great, you know, um, the, the media landscape was different. You know, the internet, cell phones, what it wasn't the thing. So, so they had a great distrust of foreigners as well. And I think that that's probably some of what the, the Japanese and, and also obviously to the, some of the historical aspects of it, but some of the things that, that occurred in Japan, you know, in prior yeah. to the last 20 years. Yeah. And to a large degree, and I think not just in Japan, but anywhere, I think ra racism is almost I'm not going to say always, but it's largely a function of lack of exposure. You know, so right. people get these media images of people that are different. And then they've never met one. So then everything that they, they think about that person is just based on these images that they've been seeing, which could be positive or they could be negative. Um, sure. You know, so, but one, one thing that I've, I've found, and maybe it's not just Japan, it's, it's anywhere, is that uh, 
you know, a lot of people, like they, they kind of, they recognize quality of character when they see it, you know, and, and it, within Japan, especially manner and etiquette is so culturally important, much, much more so than the States that, you know, if you know, if you know how to conduct yourself as a person with a very good manner, who's very, very polite, um, if you learn to speak the, the language well and everything else, then a lot of that kind of fear and intimidation will just dissipate and they'll be quite easy to talk to. You know, there I, is I, think that, I think that that's a very um, important thing that you've hit on. I know we're, we're sort of varying from the Taekwondo aspect, but I think it's important. And I think it is one of the things that I like about the universality of the practice of Taekwondo yeah. is that, again, you run into a situation where it transcends um, cultural, religious, uh, ethnic, uh, gender boundaries, and, and you run into people all over the world, and you may not speak the same language, but again, the manner of respect and demeanor uh, goes a long way in terms of being able to communicate with people and being able to um, engender yourself to um, you know, a good social experience with them, as well as a good athletic or, or martial art experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I know, I know for a fact that a, a huge part of why I've been able to be successful in, in Japan is because of everything that I learned about manner and etiquette from studying Taekwondo, like just beyond any shadow of a doubt. I've got no doubts about that. So. Well, that is very cool. That, that, that's a very cool um, thing to hear. And, uh, and, and you're, you're, you're um, your personality and your demeanor come through, not only in this conversation, but like I said, I've had the opportunity to watch voraciously your YouTube channels. And I, and I wanted to use that as an opportunity to sort of segue in, into that. I started out watching your film, your short film, Fists of, Ab, I'm going to say this wrong, but Abs, Absinthe, Absinthe, which, yeah, which yeah. I really, I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed it stylistically, and I thought it was humorous, and I thought it was well um, executed. But then it led me into your other channels, which I found some of the, I found all of the information quite uh, honestly to be very, very helpful and practical um, and useful. Some of it Taekwondo related, some of it not. Obviously, there's some martial arts and self-defense things there. So tell me a little bit about the progression of those things and how those work into your overall mission. So well, one of the reasons that I started the YouTube channel was just because, like I said, I hadn't, you know, for my first few years in Japan, I hadn't really found a dojo. And then I started to think, you know, like if I, so much of my life was Taekwondo and I thought if I don't train, I'm going to lose it. You know, so that was one of the reasons why I ended up kind of starting the dojang. It's just because I just, I just wanted to train myself. Like I wanted to kick targets and do sure. and, and do all those things that Taekwondo guys do. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to key up at the top of my lungs and all that. But with the YouTube channel, I started that because at the time I didn't really have any students and I thought I'd spent so much of my life learning martial arts and learning all these different things that relate to martial arts and learning them in Asia that I thought it would just be, it would just be a shame to just not share it, you know? So I just, uh, I was speaking to a friend who I'd met in Tokyo that was a Hollywood producer. And then he, we were just talking about martial arts in general. And he said, you know what, like, you know how like if you, 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 meet some situation that's kind of intimidating and then you want to look up some kind of self-defense move on YouTube. All you ever get is like, you know, these hardcore guys in, in like camouflage pants talking about a bunch of stuff that you just can't understand. And he's like, what I think would be super cool, what I think you should do 
is I think you should start a martial arts channel for normal people that just don't get all of this kind of stuff. Uh, and then he said, you know, I mean, like I work in production, so, you know, maybe I could even help you out with it at some point. And I just thought it was a good idea and I thought it was interesting. So I said, okay, well, let's just try it. So then I started my first YouTube show, which was How to Defeat Dudes. And, you know, in the first few episodes, it was all just Hapkido that I had learned at, at my, my dojang in Michigan. And then uh, it just ended up kind of developing a following. And then people, I had done eight episodes or I think four or six or eight episodes or something. And then people just kept saying, when are you going to make more? When are you going to make more? These are really awesome. Can you make more? So then I just, I did, uh, I got onto Indiegogo and then I just kind of took the crowdfunding and then raised a little bit of capital and then just started making more. And then from there, you know, people started asking all these other questions and I was kind of just trying to honestly answer everybody's questions because I thought if they got the time to write, you know, to ask me a question, the least I could do is answer it. And then from there, you know, with YouTube, it, it's all about engagement and it wasn't sure design, but I was just trying to engage everybody and just answer everyone's questions and, and, you know, uh, just treat everybody right. And then it ended up turning into an online community, which because my channel was growing so quickly, I ended up growing by like 1600% in two years. Um, wow. The, the YouTube, uh, the YouTube studio in Tokyo said, listen, we're, we've got this opportunity to create where, where we want to select some YouTubers to create um, actual films. And even though you have an American YouTube channel because you're based here, we'd like to give you the, that opportunity. So if, if you have any ideas. So then I wrote Fist of Absinthe and I pitched it. And then I was one of 10 people who were selected to, to create it. And then out of those 10, there was three people who got full access to Toei Studios in Kyoto. Uh, and then I was selected to be one of those three. And then that's how oh, I ended wow. up starting my company, Quiet Flame Productions. And then all of a sudden I was, I was a film producer and, and I, you know, I had a stunt team, you know. And then again, things just kind of kept snowballing from there. Well, that's great, and, and I'm going to link that in um, the, the, the post uh, about the, um, in, uh, our, our discussion. Um, that in particular, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. We've had another, um, we interviewed Samari Morris, who's a uh, Taekwondo master from Colorado, and uh, she had been, she does a lot with YouTube, uh, a lot of it relating to Taekwondo training techniques. It started out for her, she was an international competitor Taekwondo competitor and was video, uh, she was vlogging her, her journeys to be able to just simply share with people the city that Taekwondo brought her to. And then YouTube tapped her to be, um, went, go to their creator summit or whatever it was. And then she, but she has a very, again, also a very successful, a little different from yours, mm -hmm. um, but, but also very engaging and, and very enjoyable. Um, and, and I thought that yours was, was very good because it, it combines a number of things. And I, th I think the production value on it is good. And I think that it is um, very, rela very relatable. So uh, I, I, I think that that is um, really, really great. So tell me about the two channels, because I see that you have two channels. Um, what is the distinction in terms of the, um, the purpose of those or, or what types of videos you post on those two different channels? So the main channel is, is just Chuck Johnson. Um, because like when I started it, I didn't know it was going to turn into a really big thing. So it was just my name. Sure. <laughs> right? Sure. Um, yeah. And then the second channel is for my company, Quiet Flame Productions. Uh, and the reason that I started that was, uh, partially just because at this point, 
you know, now that we've I've got a regular stunt team and a regular kind of institution for stunt training along with Taekwondo training, um, I just wanted to be able to create video content for our members. And then, of course, things like, you know, we've got all of our, our, uh, our pumse up on the, um, yes. on the, the channel so that people can see them. All of our hoshinso is up on the channel just so that people can see them. So a lot with Quiet Flame, a lot of it, it's either stuff for members or it's just videos to show kind of what we can do as, as a stunt crew and as kind of a, a film production house as well. Very interesting. Very, very interesting and very, very engaging. So uh, uh, there's so much I want to talk to you about, and we have limited time. So I want to ask you, before getting into some more nuts and bolts kind of things and administrative things, what, is, what does the year bring for you in terms of your life and your dojang and your production company and your training as it relates to it being an Olympic year? Or is that something that doesn't have really significant um, impact on you other than the fact that it's something exciting going on in the country and for Taekwondo? Yeah, well, with, with, um, with 220, um, the biggest news so far is that we've, we've gotten our first Hollywood film casting for some of our members. I, I'm afraid I, I can't talk about it at the moment because this is too early in the game. <laughs> um, Great. We've, we've got our first Hollywood film, so that's really exciting. Um, it is an action movie. Um, as for, and that's probably the, the biggest deal of this year. As for the Olympics, I would love to go and watch. I would love to go and watch more than anything, you know, but I think I've, I've got uh, some, uh, what can I say, some, um, I've, I've got production obligations at the time. So I think I may, I may not, well, I mean, who knows, the schedule may work out that I can, but I may not actually be able to watch the Olympics, which is, which is a bummer because it'll be right there, you know, sure. right in my own hometown. But I think it's, it's interesting, too, because looking at Taekwondo now, it seems like it's such a different game than in, in the, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, and even early 2000s. Like, the, the, the game, is, it's evolved so much, and it's just the way people fight, it's so different. But it would be really cool and fun to see. And I've already had a, a few, you know, a few people from my dojang in the States say, Chuck, I want to come to Tokyo. Let's go watch the Olympics. You know, so I hope it can work out that I can check something out. That's great. That's great. And I'm sure, and I'm sure it, it is, it, it can help, but be infused in the world around you as it relates to, I'm sure the marketing of, of not only the Olympics and the sport aspect, but as countries will do, um, they will market themselves as the, in, during the Olympic year to the world who's, who's visibly uh, watching. So now let me ask you about your, what your, you, 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 I, I know you, you mentioned in the immediate conversation that you have exci- something exciting coming up in the way of a, of a film project, but what are your short-term and long-term goals? Are they to stay in Japan and continue the type of work that you're doing? Is it to, to go somewhere else? Is it to come back to the States? Um, the long you know. term, at, at this point, I think we're going, we're, we're going to be in Asia for a while. I mean, obviously, the great thing about film is that it, it has no borders. You know, like big films are shot everywhere in the world. You know, sure, sure. We're shot all over the world, just depending on location. So, but I think, you know, Quiet, Quiet Flame, it is a Japanese company, um, even though the, the owner and the president's American. <laughs> it is actually sure. a Japanese company so we're going to be we'll always probably be based in japan the the direction that i would like to go in 
is, you know, I mean, of course, there's the goals for our Taekwondo Dojang, and then there's, there's the film production goals as well. And for the film production goals, what I would really like to do is I want to get to the point that, that, you know, we're making all of our own films. So we're going to be making two short films within this year. You know, the first one will be a nine-minute short. And the next one is going to be a 30-minute short. And the goal after that is to try and produce our first feature. You know, and, and the name of the company is, is Quiet Flame. And the meaning behind that is that, you know, if you, if you look at a fire, then a fire can either burn your house down or, or it can cook your food, you know, depending on how well it's balanced, right? So what we strive to, to do as a Taekwondo Dojang is to help bring people balance. You know, people that are really, really strong but not so humble, we try to kind of bring them more towards the middle people who don't feel like they're strong yet. We try to give them that strength. And we try to just bring balance to people is kind of our objective. And the way that that relates to film is what I would like to do with this is to not just create action movies for the sake of action movies, but to create action movies that address relevant social issues. Because uh, a large part of of what I discovered when I was traveling all over the world is that there's a lot of stuff happening and there's a lot of stuff that we may not know about in the States or people may not know about here or that, but it's, it's things that are important. So I'd like to be able to use filmmaking to kind of address those issues uh, and in particular action films, because I think with a lot of, you know, you see a lot of really great uh, kind of social commentary and political commentary in the world of documentaries. But the problem with documentaries is that you have to be, you already have to be interested in the topic in order to, 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 to kind of want to watch it, right? Whereas I think, you know, most, a lot of people like action movies, you know what I mean? I'm not going to say everybody likes them, but a whole lot of people like action movies. You know? Sure. I don't, don't want to preach to people, but what I can do is, is, you know, use action cinema as a vehicle to, to bring awareness to issues that I think are important, you know, because a huge part of Taekwondo is, is caring about your country and caring about your, your society and the world in general. It's about bettering the world and bettering people, you know, so I think as a film production company, that has to be one of our objectives too. Well, that is great. And that, and that is very noble. And, and, and I really respect that. And I think it's interesting. It's, it's, I think we're in an interesting time from the standpoint of the, um, convergence to some degree of, of martial arts, the maturation of martial artists and things that are happening in cinema. I had a great talk with uh, Jesse V. Johnson, who's writer and director and producer on a number of the films like uh, Avengement and Triple Threat and uh, Debt Collector and things of that nature. And while I don't necessarily think his um, desire is, is to, to do as much in terms of the type of commentary that you're speaking, one of the things that we did talk about was the elevation of the action film from what he considered to be really the equivalent of, 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 of almost a type of uh, pornography for yeah. action people, right? To something where the scripts were, um, the scripts are higher, where the acting is better, where it isn't just about where people fast forward through the dialogue to just get to the fight scenes where people actually are interested in watching the movies. And um, uh, I, I think that, that, you know, that is, is something that makes it exciting because, you know, for those of us that have spent our life watching, you know, every possible action thing that we can get our hands on, it'd be nice to be able to have that, that higher level of, 
of product, and I think it will open it up to a, a, a wider audience. So um, I'm excited about what you're saying, and I'm excited about what you're doing. Thank you. Um, yeah. so I was going to say, I mean, yeah, that's even with if you look at, at the class load that we offer at Quiet Flame, of course, we have, you know, the Olympic Taekwondo training is, is the base, you know, largely because, like I said, what I want is to just is to create better people, you know, and to use Taekwondo as a vehicle to create better people. But beyond that, we also, you know, our members also train in acting, they train in Western swords, they train in Japanese weapons, they train in, in, in action so that you get to, so that you can produce stunt people, stunt people who can act very well, and then actors who can move really well, you know, right. and, and people, and everybody's a martial artist, right? So, I mean, all the guys at, at Quiet Flame, they're, they're all martial artists, right? So everyone has kind of viewed the world through the lens of a martial artist which I think is one of the reasons why we've, we've done well is because, you know, like I said, people, we, uh, when we walk on set, you know, people are, we're, we're more polite and you know, we have better etiquette and, and these kinds of things largely because of the training. Well, that is, that's great. That's great. And I look forward to following that. And I, I know our, our, our listeners do as well. And to seeing that. So tell me about for you personally, master Chuck Johnson, are your competitive days, are your days of competition behind you? At, um, or is there more in the, is there more that we can expect from you from a competition standpoint or from a coaching standpoint? Um, or have we, I, I know that you're doing a lot in your dojang, but in terms of your own personal uh, situation, in terms of the competition. Yeah. You know, I think one of the interesting things about being older is that you never feel older inside your own head, right? <laughs> like, like right. No, that's older, true. But inside your head, you don't feel any older, right? And like, you remember what it feels like to take when you were 20. And you're like, yeah, I could totally still do that, right? And then you get an injury, and you're like, oh, yeah, it'll be fine in, like, two days. <laughs> and right. then it, it ends up taking, like, two months to heal. But um, as for myself, at this point, I haven't competed in a while. It's, it's been a long time, largely because I've been focusing much more on, on learning about stunts and on fight choreography and weapons and, and acting and writing and all these other things. Um, but, you know, I mean, when, whenever you watch people fight, you still just get that, that urge and that that desire to just get into the ring yourself, you know? I think the last match of my career was actually a kickboxing match. Um, oh, wow. And I lost by, um, I lost in sudden death, you know? And it was really close. It was a very, at the time, I didn't, I'd never even studied kickboxing. I just got asked to do it. And then I was squaring off against a, uh, you know, a provincial champion in, from Hokkaido. Uh, and it was just a very hard fight and it was really close. And then I lost and, you know, that failure is one of the reasons that I really buckled down to become successful at a lot of other things, but it's still, it was the last fight of my career and it was a loss, you know, and that's for sure. It still eats at me. So sometimes I, I, I still think about getting back into the kickboxing ring just one more time, you know, just to kind of sure. win that on a, a win. But at the same time, I also think just given the fact that I'm in my 40s and I'm using my body for so many other things, you know, um, um, a major risk or a major injury could be, I'm not going to say catastrophic, but it would be very troublesome for everything else that I'm doing. So I, I, I absolutely understand. And I, and I appreciate your honesty. And I think your, your self-reflection is great. And I certainly hear you. I mean, for, from my perspective, I, I, I work out those issues by refereeing. So I have the opportunity to stay close to the action without necessarily engaging and by working with my kids who are all, you know, Taekwondo practitioners mm -hmm. as well. So I have the opportunity with them to, uh, 
um, to be very close to it um, while while you know evolving my role and 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 my purpose. So tell tell me now in terms of uh, our listeners again in the interest of time as we wind down for those who want to follow you for those who would like to get in touch with you um, what is the um, the best way for them to do that is it we're going to post the the links to your YouTube channels is that the best way um, is is there an, another preferred uh, means of, of people social media uh, for getting in touch with you yeah um, YouTube is great um, also I'm, I'm on Instagram as well so you know a lot of people just kind of find me on Insta so my Instagram account it's more it's more about training and then the YouTube is more about teaching so Okay. A lot of people had, they, you know, they kept asking me, well, what, what kind of martial arts do you do besides Taekwondo? I'm like, how do you train? So then I, I started the Insta just to kind of show what I'm doing with my regular training. So, but I'm on both. I'm also on Facebook. Um, I try to be pretty accessible to people, you know, so um, pretty much any social, social media. I'm not very active on Twitter these days, but generally Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, or if you, even if you just go to, to the, the you know, quiet flame homepage and you can just get a hold of me through that. So, well, that's, that's, that's great. And I will, uh, I will definitely on your, your Instagram. Is it, is it, is that the one I'm just looking now while I'm talking to you, Chuck and action? Yeah. Chuck in action. Chuck in action. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we will post all of those. I wanted to thank you so much for taking time out of your, your busy schedule. Um, you have so much going on and, uh, it is really a delight to get a look into, into your world. I feel, uh, you're very positive energy. I feel very energized by, um, the things that, that you're, that you're doing. Um, I encourage our, our listeners to check out your journey. It excites me from the standpoint of young people involved in the martial arts. And I think that in, in winding down, I'd like to give you the opportunity if you could give, you know, your, you've done so much. If you could provide some advice to, to young people that are uh, considering either getting involved in the martial arts or getting involved in or having an interest in getting in, involved in the, the action genre, what would be some, some piece of advice that you would give them if you could, if, that you wish somebody had given to you in your younger days? The biggest piece of advice that I could give to anybody is just to trust yourself, meaning that if you have something that you really, really want to do and that you really think you can do it, then you have to just go for it, you know? And oftentimes you'll have people, when you're, going, when you're setting out to do something that's really risky, oftentimes you'll have a lot of people that really honestly care about you telling you not to do it because they don't want to see you get hurt, you know, and that's their, that's their honest advice. And, you know, you should take that with a grain of salt and listen to what they're saying and assess the risk, but you should still do it <laughs> and you should still go for it. And, you know, I can't tell you how many people had told me that I couldn't do what I did, you know, and even with, with, you know, quiet flame as a company, if I were, you know, if I would tell people, okay, well, you know, I'm this, you know, American black dude who's, going to start a Taekwondo school in Tokyo and then a film production company, you know, I mean, like the, what are the chances of a company like that succeeding? But it is sure because I just made it work. Right. So, um, I mean, it's just about getting out there and then just hanging in there and then just sticking with it through all the hard times because the hard times are going to come and they're going to be hard, you know, but you just have to push through it and just keep adapting and keep learning and figuring out your mistakes and trying again. And you figure out another mistake and you try again and you make 10 more mistakes. And then, you know, you try again 11 times and on the 11th time, then you get it right. You know, you just keep doing that process until 
you get yourself to where you want to be, and that's all it is. Well, that, that is great advice, and you are uh, living and breathing a testament to that. So, Master Chuck Johnson, once again, I want to thank you for talking to Taekwondo Life magazine. Um, we look forward to following your journey as you continue to um, hit new strides and, and, and to break new ground in both uh, martial arts and martial arts action genre. And uh, we look forward to communicating with you in the future, and we wish you the best for 2020 and beyond. Thank you very much, Mark. It's really been a pleasure to talk to you, too. With spending time in training and working on the podcast and the magazine, it is difficult for me sometimes to get out to the store or the supermarket. And when that occurs, I always rely on Instacart. A friend of mine introduced me to Instacart about a year ago, and it has really changed the way that I shop. I go on the computer or on my phone I have multiple stores to choose from in the neighborhood. I can select all of my products for delivery, and it'll give me other alternative products based upon my preferences. And it's really, really a helpful tool towards making your life a heck of a lot easier. No more worrying about trying to find parking at the supermarket or standing in line at the checkout counter. You can just do all of it from your computer. It'll help you save money by giving you suggestions on deals and by providing you alternative products. And shoppers will hand select your products, they'll bag them up neatly, and that they'll deliver them within a specified delivery window. I have never had a problem with the products, the groceries, or the service from Instacart. And if you follow the show notes, and you let Instacart know that we sent you, they'll provide you free delivery on your first order of over $35. I highly recommend it, and I think that it, for me, has been one of the life-changing services that I've gotten involved with. I'm not a guy who does a lot of internet shopping, but this is something I don't like to be without. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton to adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride, purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.